0: Looking for a special gift for that fag in your life? Whoa, leg? whoa, 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 whoa. Get that friend of
1: Armstrong and Getty some a merch. Ah. New for 19, our latest AG logo tees, hoodies, and more. The Punch Violence in the Face t-shirt. Or the Castagot Redendo Morris tee is available. The Yo, 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 and the updated Stupid Should Hurt tee. The new Cal Unicornia state flag tee.
0: We even brought back our classic AG ketchup and mustard logo. Buy them now at the Armstrong and Getty Superstore. Find it at armstrongandgetty.com.
2: Point uh, of privilege point of um, personal privilege yeah. uh, hot dog is my favorite meat <laughs>
3: this is armstrong and daddy the lunacy
1: of this this exercise you call it uncomfortable clarity how funny how it be funny like I'm a clown I am using amen all right go go <laughs> I'm
0: ready. is Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty show. So I've just been hearing the rumblings about the 1619 Project in the New York Times series of uh, articles and stuff like that. And, uh, it's just kind of, I just thought. I can I can feel the heat sometimes from a story, and I decide, you know what? I'm not ready to wade into that yet. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to, but I'm just not ready for it. Yet. Yeah, anyway. I've read some of it, but it's uh it's come down upon me now. And according to the uh, the editor of the New York Times, the executive editor, he signaled that the New York Times is going to pivot from Russia coverage. You know why? (laughs) 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 I'm going to pivot from Russia coverage to focusing on race in the run-up to the 2020 election. All good. Because the Russia coverage wasn't working for booting Trump out, so they thought maybe race and painting him as a racist would. Right. But the Times also declared it, quote, aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding, and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story, we tell ourselves about who we are. Unquote. 1619 being the date of when uh, first started slipping slaves to North America. That's our true founding. And some of the things that have been said during the uh, the, the, um, conversation about this in the 1619 project have been quite controversial.
1: I would say, and they are not uh, restricted to that uh, journalism project either. You hear it all the time. It's taught in all the colleges and high schools of America. Uh, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Tim, the lawyer, uh, author of a number of tomes, including Frederick Douglass' Self Made Man, and a brand new book that I'm sure he'll tell us about, uh, joins us now. Hey, Tim, how are you? Just great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Absolutely love the piece you wrote for Reason.com, which we will have linked so people can find it easily. Uh, we'll get on that, but um. First of all, what does this 1619 project get right, do you think? Or oh, you go ahead.
2: You know, I'm glad you started with that because because I think it's important to say that a lot of this stuff is very good. A lot of these articles um, really un- really cover an area of history that, to be frank, I think many white Americans are completely ignorant of. I think in my ex- anecdotal experience. White Americans are largely not very aware of the history of slavery and are almost totally ignorant of what came after that, which was the virtual re-enslavement of the South in the years that followed um, about 1876 to 1900. Right, and, and so and the, and I would, would argue that, that well.
1: the people are also woefully ignorant of the fight to end slavery and how that worked, but anyway.
2: That's exactly right, and that's the real shortcoming of the 1619 Articles, is that it fails to address that, and it takes for granted this narrative that America was founded as a white supremacist nation, that slavery was protected in the Constitution, that this was the plan all along, that when the Founding Fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, they did not mean all men are created equal when they wrote all men are created equal that what they really meant was all white men are created equal and that myth is taken as a as a given assumption by these the articles in the series and that's that 's really objectionable it 's not true as a factual matter, and it has a really deleterious effect on how people think about the United states It, it, it would be far more accurate to say that America's real founding isn't slavery but the abolition of slavery, that the Constitution of the United States as we know it today has a lot more in common with what happened in 1865 than with what happened in 1776. And the, the Articles totally ignore that, and they totally ignore the efforts of political leaders in the 1830s to to, be, to the beginning of the Civil War to fight back against the rise of white supremacist Thinking, which did not happen at the founding, but happened with the generation that came after the founding. They were the ones who created this myth that the Constitution is only for white people.
1: Right. That was a white supremacist notion that a lot of people fought against. I love the point you make about the white men who wrote the Declaration of Independence, Adams, uh, Madison, Washington, and Jefferson, slaveholders both. um, that, That When they wrote that document and the Constitution, what did they think that meant for slavery?
2: Yeah, well, they meant – they knew that it meant that slavery was inconsistent with their principles and could not be justified, and they said so. You know, to be frank, it's always mystified me that Jefferson takes so much flack on the issue of slavery when Jefferson at least risked his political career on several occasions because he spoke out against slavery. Now, did he do enough? Of course not. But in his own day, he was radical enough on the issue of slavery that he got beat down for it on multiple occasions and eventually gave it up because he knew that it was accomplishing it, it, nothing in, his, uh, in, in the direction of, of eliminating slavery. Now, maybe that was the wrong choice, but you, I think it's only fair to give Jefferson credit for having spoken out and said slavery was evil and could not be reconciled with the, con- with the Declaration of Independence, and so did the others. And, you know, to me, the really pivotal figure here, who, again, goes completely unmentioned in the Times article, is a series of articles, is John Quincy Adams, John Adams' son. John Quincy Adams was one of the greatest men in American history. He knew all of the founding fathers personally, and he was more or less the godfather of the anti-slavery movement in this country. He was his protégés. Were the, were the guys who grew up to lead the anti-slavery movement. And John Quincy Adams was, was under no illusions about the founding. He said the founding fathers were anti-slavery. They said so. They said slavery was inconsistent. Now, they didn't do enough about it. They didn't, under, they didn't figure out a plan of how to eliminate slavery. But the idea that they, thought, that they thought slavery was a good thing is just a lie. And unfortunately, it's taken as, as a granted assumption by many people on the left, and it appears by the New York Times.
0: What do you think the danger is of either understudying the role of slavery in our history or or taking it on the way the New York Times is? What are the, the two um, uh, danger zones on either side?
2: Knowing too little about slavery... I think leads to this mythology um, in two ways. One is the, there's this romanticist idea that slavery wasn't so bad, which is is revolting. But I think that there are still quite a lot of people who, who buy into this sort of gone-with-the-wind picture that uh, that really needs to be abolished. And the second thing is that it, it then you don't understand what came afterwards, which was that in 1876, a decade after the Civil War, the, the northern political leaders decided to stop protecting civil rights in the south, and they withdrew American, uh, the, the American army that had been stationed in the southern states to protect the freedmen against terrorist groups. And as a result, the south was condemned to another century of slavery. Incidentally, this is precisely the same argument that's going on right now with regard to Afghanistan is that voters are tired of the effort of protecting a, a vulnerable class against terrorist groups, and their attitude is, well, let's just take our guns and go home. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, we have to be clear-eyed about the fact that that's going to condemn those people to at least another century of terrorist enslavement. Now, to, to me, the, uh, another really objectionable part is to, to look at the history of the nation as a whole rather than going state by state. And this is important for California because, you know, California, the, the argument of the 1619 Project is basically it's trying to say that great American industries today are rooted in slavery and therefore that, it, that America's industrial and technological progress is at bottom based on slavery. Now, whatever you think about that, it's not true of California. California didn't have massive black manned, enslaved plantations like the Old South did. If anything, California's industry is rooted on the exploitation of Chinese labor, the Chinese coolie system that built the railroads and manned the farms in the 19th century. None of that goes mentioned in the Times article. And although Chinese coolie labor wasn't as bad as slavery, nothing was as bad as slavery, it's the closest thing California ever had to slavery. And California is the most agriculturally productive state in the union so if you're going to talk about this argument that somehow today's industry is rooted on slavery you can't ignore the the abuses that the chinese suffered in california history and yet the articles are completely silent about that and and ignore other ethnic groups also as if it's all just black versus white throughout american history tim the lawyer
1: sandifer tim sandifer from the goldwater institute has written a, a terrific piece refuting the premise that this country is based on slavery um and and we're discussing that in uh, allied uh, questions. We're gonna take a quick break, Tim, with your permission, and come back in the be, and chat some more.
0: Be prepared. I want to ask you about what you think about reparations because I think the whole New York, the New York Times is trying to set up the presidential election.
1: To Absolutely. Be a
0: lot about race and a lot of the candidates are for reparations, and I just think that that divisional they
1: conversation. Say they are.
0: <laughs> you're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: Armstrong and Getty. And Getty. This is the best of Armstrong
0: and Getty. So, we're talking about this 1619 project in the New York Times, which is all about um, uh, discussing the role of slavery in the United States. And uh, to many people's minds, really, really overstating it. And what they're really up to is they're trying to uh, set up the 2020 election as being all about the racist Trump and his racist followers. Right. Against everybody else that is uh, standing up what is, for what is good and, and beautiful in the world. Right.
1: And that th- th- there ends any discussion of Trump in this topic. I mean, because this is not about Trump.
0: We're talking with Tim Sandifer, Tim the Lawyer, as we've called him for years as he started as a caller on this show. But uh, quoting from his own article today in uh, Reason at Reason.com, where the 1619 articles go wrong is in a persistent and off-key theme, an effort to prove that slavery is, quote, the country's very origin and the source of, quote, nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional. Slavery is the source of nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional.
1: That's a hell of a statement. Great, Scott. Your uh, Your reaction, Tim?
2: Well, I think it's, for one thing, it's incredibly vulgar and materialistic to say that what makes America great is its wealth. What makes great America great is the principle that all men are created equal in the Declaration of Independence. And the authors of that document understood at the time that it was incompatible with slavery. And it's been the efforts of Americans ever since to make that truth more real in the lives of America, first by abolishing slavery and then through the civil rights movements and so forth. That's the true source of American greatness. And if it had not accomplished a dime for America, it would still make it the the greatest country to have been created, precisely because it's a matter of principle. And the people who understood that were people like Abraham Lincoln or John Quincy Adams or Frederick Douglass or Charles Sumner, who was nearly assassinated in the U.S. Senate for denouncing white supremacy. I mean, these people... Uh, Their efforts go almost completely unmentioned in the Times articles as if it was just a matter of course that America is rooted in slavery, was premised on slavery, that the color line was written into the Constitution, when in fact the Constitution doesn't even use the word slavery and provided no legal protections for slavery whatsoever. Right.
1: There's so many aspects to this. I, I'm trying to decide which to go off on. One thing that's always bothered me about the uh, self-flagellation over slavery, which is, of course, just anathema. It's it's horrific. It's indefensible and unforgivable. But the idea that it's a uniquely American problem, slavery is universal, has been universal, every continent on Earth, practically every country, um, and, and continues today.
2: Yeah, um, and persists today. That's yeah, it. yeah. So I and, just and those things go unmentioned by in all of these debates, and the the reason why is because as as Jack mentioned, the 1619 project is only partly about history, it's also really being used for political purposes, and that slavery discussions in the United States are so frequently used instrumentally, not to actually talk about slavery, but in order to advocate some contemporary project to redistribute wealth, and in the 1619 Projects case, to attack capitalism itself, when in fact it was capitalism that destroyed slavery. And it, was, uh, and it was slavery's defenders who fashioned the arguments against capitalism that are still being used today. The idea that it's too individualistic, that it's based on greed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All those arguments were created by slavery's defenders, and they're trotted out today as if uh, by, by historians or pseudo-historians who try to argue that slavery is somehow a form of capitalism.
0: That's fascinating. Which is
2: not only, not only insane, but even Karl Marx didn't think that slavery was a form of capitalism.
1: That is fascinating. Yeah, it it really is. So uh, speaking of uh, redistribution of wealth, it's my personal belief that there are uh, almost no politicians with two brain cells to rub together that actually think reparations ought to happen. But what's your answer to the idea of reparations?
2: I I'm in, I favor reparations to any person who is actually a slave. Um, with regard to those who are descendants of slaves... Uh, No, of course not. The idea that, for one thing, not only does that inflict injuries and injustices on people who are not responsible for those crimes, but it, it fosters this bizarre idea that slavery could be wiped out by a single act, that the legacy of slavery could be wiped out by a single act. And and history is way too messy for that. The idea that slavery could be somehow resolved through reparations leads to the idea that you could pass a law through Congress today to redistribute wealth, and then there you go, slavery's over, we never have to hear about it again. Well, that's crazy. Uh, If the legacy of slavery has inflicted so many harms on so many people, then the only way to resolve it is on an individual case-by-case basis over the long haul by treating people justly today, not by taking wealth from the descendants of people whose ancestors came to this, this country after the Civil War and and, giving it, and, and who su- themselves suffered discrimination and, and violence and giving it to other descendants of people whose ancestors were brought here against their will and, and forced into slavery. That, that sort of, of intergenerational uh, redistribution or intergenerational resentment is a recipe for political disaster in the long run. We know that because we've seen it happen time and time again in countries around the world.
0: Tim, you've been incredibly fair on this topic. I think anybody who reads your article at reason.com, which we'll link at armstrongandgetty.com as soon as it comes out, um, uh, you've been fair and you point out, you know, the flaws in in, in our in our past. But f- for a a black child born today, how much are they facing um, you know, leftover bad stuff from slavery that that is in their faces is, is an oppositional force to being successful well there's
2: i would say there's two answers to that i think the i think for us in some ways the answer is it's pervasive and it's pervasive largely through white ignorance of slavery's legacy and and the reality of slavery the the fact that for a lot of white americans their knowledge of slavery comes from watching gone with the wind and roots um and so as a result they don't really understand the, the the effects it had and so that is going to haunt the life of any black child in the country the second answer is that it's it depends on the on the child it depends on his family circumstances where he's born what the socioeconomic status of that child is because it's an it has to be looked at as an individual case by case basis and obviously i could not presume to say what any individual Black American's life is like, nobody could. Right. And it's it's it, one of the problems with approaching the issue of slavery in the way the Times does is that it takes that attitude that you can look at it in broad terms like that.
1: Tim Sandifer is the vice president for litigation, Goldwater Institute, uh, uh, the, the author of the absolutely fantastic Frederick Douglass, self-made man, and a brand new tome that we'll be uh, talking to Tim about in a few days uh tim we sure appreciate the time we'll make sure everybody reads the uh, great piece you wrote for reason thanks guys oh it's our pleasure thank you tell me
0: you'll hear a better fair and balanced to borrow a term conversation about that topic than that anywhere you You will not you will not
3: Armstrong and Getty.
0: New for
1: nineteen. AMG
0: merch. Our latest AMG logo tees, hoodies, and more. I am now at the Armstrong and Getty Superstore. Find
1: Armstrong and Getty Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty.
0: This is why customer service feels so lousy. Companies know how angry they can make you now and still win your business. This is so funny
1: slash horrifying and obvious. It's horrifying.
0: And uh, and it's got to do with the amount of data that they can collect now. They record all the phone calls. So down to the, your tone of voice, how long you're on hold, um, you know, prices, all this, how far they can push you before you'll actually leave them and go to another company. So do they have like a red flasher
1: that goes off as you're saying to the customer service idiot, listen, I've already told you how many, and, and it, whoop, whoop, he's at a four. Your customer is at a four. Sir, I think we can help you.
0: I'll tell you the key here in just a moment from the Wall Street Journal of what you got to do. We got a number of texts about this. And I've been complaining about customer service getting worse for a long time. Um, I wonder if some of it has to do with it's so hard to fire people, so you don't have to be as concerned about being a good employee. That could be part of it, right? If you're the front desk
1: person at a store, but they're related. They're related. Because if you, back in the day, you would be fired because there was a perception that we will lose this person's business if this person keeps abusing our customers like this. And now, you know, it, it, there's no there's no real incentive if you know how mad you can make people. You're not going to be proactive or careful about it.
0: Yeah, but who's who, yeah, and yeah, and they've they've made the calculation that look they they don't like the
1: the, the surly person
0: at the front desk. But they're not going to leave us for that. So I'm not going to pay extra to get a happy person at the front desk. I I understand that calculation that they've made.
1: Right. I hear your point, though. I mean, if you can't fire people, you'll find a way to work around
0: it. But now it is always amazing to me. And, like, I want to do something for this employee when it happens to me. Like, you can go to to some sort of store and you ask somebody, uh, you know, I can't find the blank. Do you have any of these? No, we probably don't. Probably don't or don't. Right. I don't think we do. Well, are you sure? Is there a way you can check? Right. Or you run into the employee of you know that really works. No, I don't think. I think I'm, I think there might be somebody over here, and then they go look over there, and I think we might have some back. Wait for just a second, and right. they and they like really go out of their way, yeah, to make sure you get this thing. It's not going to have any effect on their pay. In fact, it was it was more work for them to satisfy me than if they had just said, "No, I think we're out of those." Right. But they did it anyway, and I think that, I think mostly, most of the time now, it just comes down to your personality when you run into people that do that. But I'm always so pleased when I come across one of those people. I think, thank you. I really needed this X, and you got it for me. And if it had been a lot of other employees, I wouldn't have gotten this X because you had to do, you had to make two clicks on the computer to check and see if you have it in stock or walk 15 feet. (laughs) But a lot of people don't want to do that.
1: You ever done the uh, phone first thing? You call and you say, hey, do you have any X in stock? And they say, yeah. Then you get there and they don't. And they oh, yeah. say, uh, computer said we did. Where's the shelf? It's right there. It's 10 feet away from it. You couldn't look? Couldn't eyeball it? <laughs> I got this text from somebody who worked
0: in customer service. The major grocery store chain I worked for wanted me gone, I think, because I was too helpful and too many customers texted or emailed nice comments about me. I don't know if I buy that, but I like this part. Why would uh, you want
1: to get rid of somebody Well, like right.
0: That? I, I, You're I, paranoid. That, yeah, I think that's paranoid, but I like this part. I busted my butt for customers, except in the deli. I refused to make sandwiches because that's a guaranteed complaint area. I refused to repeatedly do the sandwich bar, so they encouraged me to resign. <laughs> I'm not making any damn sandwiches. <laughs> A deli. I'll bet that is the guaranteed complaint area. That's too much mayonnaise.
1: There, you do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm super picky about some stuff, but I just can't get mad about that stuff. I just. I don't either.
0: I, I definitely, Life's too short. I definitely know people who do. Yeah, yeah. I think, how would you know how much mayonnaise I want? I don't think you did it on purpose to make me mad or anything like that. Right, right. Um, but so I, I ought to get to the key the key thing here that the Wall Street Journal seems to suggest.
1: Yes, please. You're abusing our customers by screwing around and not getting to the key thing. As they go through a bunch of people that in this particular had,
0: uh, situation
1: had trouble with AT&T. That's amazing to me. I've found their customer service to be top-notch.
0: AT&T. I'll tell you this. Should I even say this out loud? Probably
1: not. Michael,
0: what go do you ahead. think?
3: Go ahead. Go ahead as always.
0: <laughs> Here's been my experience with AT&T, particularly oh going around to the cell phone stores. Your
1: co-host said probably not.
0: If you if you go to a, a store with my iPhone and I say I'm on this plan, can I get this and they say no, go to a different store because you will get a different answer. Oh boy. I've had that happen over and over and over again. You get a different answer if you ask a different person or ask the same person in the, a different person in the same store.
1: But you will or get a different answer. Go out the front door, put on a fake mustache, <laughs> go back in and ask the same person again. Adopt an accent. Right. Hello, my friend. You will get a different answer. That's been my experience. But
0: anyway, the telecom giant is among the companies employing artificial intelligence to gauge customers' behavior patterns and personalities to pair them with customer service agents. Wow. I wonder if I should come off. Belligerent right off the bat, and they say, "Okay, we got we got a live one here. This guy might actually leave. We got to get him to the customer service oh, department that's actually going to help him." That's this- a recipe for a pleasant society. Well, I I, I understand, but I'm trying ah. to game the system. No, this woman is pleasant and kind and polite. She'll put up with endless like my mom or something. Let's abuse the crap out of her. She'll put up with endless crap, right? So keep her on hold forever. She would never hang up or switch companies.
1: If she ain't crying, we ain't trying.
0: That's our <laughs> motto. Wow.
1: So be angry right off the bat. That's my suggestion. Boy, that's funny. I've my oh, God dang it. My my wife is so wonderful in so many ways, but she will get upset pretty quickly if she's being screwed or messed with or whatever. She she doesn't you know, she goes to zero from six from zero to sixty a little quickly. That's a way to do it. Well, apparently it is. Apparently it is. And I've been wrong all these years. Saying, listen, it's a problem to solve, work through it, we'll be good. I'm not sure what the customer service, it
0: it, it pans out. Just In the rest of life, maybe, but yeah. not with the customer service people. Yeah. Uh, matching the right agent to customers improves the likelihood of a positive outcome. Measured by resolution rate and satisfaction scores, said an AT&T uh, spokesman that declined to uh, give their name. So they actually do take the person that seems pretty hot and get them to the, we better get this worked out person. Right. I mean that's actually what's going on and if you're wow. nice and pleasant and kind of oh okay i was just hoping that well okay never mind forget it forget it
1: going to stomp on you
0: um and this is what they said happens in a number of industries and i i've we've all had probably had this experience happen with like dish or something like that if you say you're going to cut them off they will all of a sudden pull out all the stops to make sure you're happy sure yeah they will get you the price you want they'll get you the dvr you want they'll get you the phone plan you want but you have to actually be willing to walk out the door.
1: Right. Which is... Which is... You shouldn't have to negotiate that hardball. Yeah, but that is negotiating. I don't hate that. Of course, I, I hate negotiating less than a lot of people well, do. I, I get it for but, your
0: boss or whatever, your job. But yeah. I come on. it's just I'm just a customer. I shouldn't have to threaten to leave to get somebody on the phone that's going to pay me any attention. Good Lord. Well it oh, worked, yeah. It that. wasn't that yeah. way for a hundred years. Right. Why is it now?
1: Right. Well, because of algorithms because and artificial of algorithms.
0: intelligence. They didn't know back in the old days, the little mom and pop hardware store didn't know they could push you as far as they could. And so they tried. Maybe they were moral, or nice,
1: or or had a long-term view of things. Does this all get back to the whole quarterly reporting stocks thing? Everybody's just interested in this second. That
0: in a mom and pop shop of any kind, your kids go to school with their kids, and you're going to see them Thursday night at parent teacher night,
1: and they don't want to be a jerk to you. Right? There's that. But those stupid idiots have been crushed by first Walmart and then Amazon. Go away, mom-and-pop shops, with your idiotic service.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
1: Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty.
0: Bill Maher, uh, who was on his show the other night and said some interesting things, and then he's got an interview uh, in the New York Times that I took some of the highlights from, in which he's, he's making some really interesting arguments about where the nation is in terms of political correctness and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, well, uh, God bless him for his intellectual honesty because he angers his own political side of things a lot. And, and we mentioned this late in the show yesterday, but we thought it was worth sharing it with you. The early risers, the real coffee achievers, the go-goers. Uh, I, I mentioned that I've known guys in my life who try to get with women. They try to curry favor with women by saying the, oh, men are so dumb. They're, women should be in charge. Men are so stupid. And, and it oh, my God, it is so Humiliating, and I feel bad for them because they think that's a good strategy. But they're just they're they're humiliating themselves. And any woman who would get with a man who's like that, uh, well, you're not a woman I'd like to get with. You're all just sick. Um, and and likewise the whole self-hating white thing. That's become popular now. It's the same thing. You don't know how pathetic you look. You're trying so hard. You're debasing yourselves. Um, And and we can discuss it a little more after we hear what uh, uh, little Bill Maher had to say. Why do I continue to mention his height? I don't know. What am I over here? Some sort of heightist? I'm 5'10", like I'm some sort of giant. I, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. It's beneath me, and there's very little that's beneath me. But here's uh, here's what Bill Maher said about that phenomenon.
3: There is a weird self-loathing going on among white liberals, and it's not helping anyone. Lifting up those whose society has cheated or forsaken, that's liberalism. Hating all things white is just tedious virtue signaling. The answer to mass incarceration is to stop putting undeserving blacks in prison, not to put more white people in Twitter jail.
0: <laughs> Twitter jail,
3: that's a good one. Every thought needs a disclaimer now. The other day I heard a guy say, I realize I'm only speaking as a white male and I acknowledge our tragic history of oppression, uh, but you left your lights on.
1: That's good. That is good. Go on, Bill.
3: You meet black people and say things like, Black Panther was so meaningful to me. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a cultural milestone for you. I have taken an informal sampling among some black folks I know and the consensus seems to be awareness, yes, is great. White people certainly should acknowledge they've had an easier go of it. But black folks are not asking whites to always be flagellating themselves because it makes everything awkward. It puts the burden on black people to absolve you. It's really... It's... It's it's really asking black people to, again, do something for you. Forgive me. Absolve me. Recognize that I'm one of the good white people.
1: I think it's worth pointing out all of the whoops and applause there among Bill, Bill Maher's notoriously lefty audience.
0: Yeah, he mentions in the New York Times article, he said, my audience is not where most Democrats or liberals are in the country, and people need to recognize that. And he said that's part of who he's talking to is the rest of the country. His audience mostly usually hates it when
1: he strays away from anything that's not what he's criticizing, actually. Which amplifies my point. If his audience is that far left, that they're left of most Democrats in the country, and they're whooping and hollering when he calls out that self-flagellating white guilt thing... That is the, that well, that shows you who it is. It's like when we talk to college kids about the whole, uh, you know, speech police and, and speech codes and the, the call-out culture and the cancel culture. They say, yeah, that's a fairly small group of lunatics. Well, that shows you how small a group of lunatics you self-hating whites are. You're too far left for Bill Maher's audience. Go ahead. I think we have one more.
3: I just want to say, America has done a lot of good things and a lot of bad ones, and the number one bad one with no close second is racism. It's a sorry history, and we're not done with it. And yet, black and white increasingly intermingle. We get to the finish line on race by just being with each other more. We don't need awkward we need laughing with each other, finding out what's good about each other, befriending, intermarrying, enjoying somebody's company without thinking every minute, I'm with a person of color. <laughs> You're with a person. The... That's it. Right? That the woke There's a sweet home Alabama
1: joke in there, but the woke intersectional crowd would be screaming enraged at him for what he just said with spit flying in his face. They utterly reject that view. So
0: he went further on some of this stuff in the New York Times interview he did. He uh, was talking about um, how liberals protect people and PC people protect feelings. They don't do anything. They're pointing at other people who are somehow falling short of their standards, which could have changed three weeks ago. They're constantly moving the goalposts so that they can go, gotcha, for example, when I was growing up, the most liberal thing you could do is not see color. Well, that's wrong now. You see color always, so you can register your white privilege. But I grew up in the Martin Luther King era. Judged by the content of your character, not the color of your skin, I still think that's the best way to do it. Yep. Um, How many times have you heard that hair? Uh, and then the person that was interviewing him... Uh, said how much fear is coming from comedians still adjusting to the reality of there being a possible consequence for the material. You can still make whatever joke you want. The difference is that more people are calling you out if they find it offensive. And Bill Maher said to him, that's naive. You can make that joke if you don't mind giving up your career or being fired. Come on, the politically correct people are not concerned about social justice. They care about putting scalps on the wall. Liam Neeson, remember that? that that remember the Liam Neeson story yeah. where he talked about he got so angry about uh, what was, the, what his was it his sister
1: was raped i believe yeah
0: and he went looking for a, a black guy to beat down with a club um they care about putting scalps in the wall Liam Neeson remember that are we at this place where we can't admit that we've ever had bad thoughts and gotten over them and become a better person you can't judge today by yesterday we evolve um the uh, and then the reviewer the interviewer said I don't know if I agree with that. The controversy around him was a story for a day, and then the world moved on. His career is fine now, isn't it? Bill Maher said, the world doesn't move on for Megyn Kelly and Roseanne and Aziz Ansari. He had to fly below the radar for a year. I think you're downplaying how serious this stuff is. We live in an age where people want to cancel other people and disappear them. Who's going to be left? Right,
1: right. That's good stuff. Well, you pair that viciousness with the idea that you need to answer for some ancestor of yours 160 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 350 years ago. I mean, that's that's a bizarre notion. And what, you know, as if maybe your, uh, your forebear was some sort of hero. Should you be getting a commission or something? I just... It doesn't make any sense. It's it's bizarre. I te- take neither credit nor blame for what my, you know, dirt, poor Irish immigrant uh, great-great-great-great-grandparents were doing. How the hell would I? It's, just, it's an idiotic notion. And as I pointed out yesterday, you got Barack Obama. His mom's family owned slaves. His dad's family, well, his dad was an African, not an African-American, an African-African. And so where's he on this? What Does he get credit or blame? Does he have to whip himself? What, I'm confused. So a couple of years ago, you
0: might remember Bill Maher did a joke where he used the N-word. Um, and that became a giant controversy. Ah, yes. Yeah, I do. And, uh, and he was asked about that by uh, the New York Times. And he said, I'm not going to discuss that with you. He said, I know you're trying to get me to discuss it, but I'm not going to. And he goes on. He says, I'm saving... An in-depth discussion for my memoirs. If I were living in a country that could handle nuance, I'd be happy to talk about it. We're no longer in that country. There's no winning here. You're going to have to read my memoirs. We live in an era where I don't think people's main focus is the truth or sussing out something valuable or teachable. Right. We live in a time which people are more concerned with scalps and clicks. And then he goes on and says, "I saw this headline, which I didn't. The only reason to bring this up so we get the story on. I saw this headline. Mario Lopez apologizes. Apologizes." It was this groveling apology to the LGBTQ community. You know what the problem was? They asked Mario Lopez about this trend in Hollywood of letting your three-year-old decide their gender. And Mario Lopez said, maybe three is a little young. Oh, what a monster. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. And he had to apologize for that. You know
1: what? The, The number one priority among Puritan communities and fundamentalists is calling out others to show how virtuous, how pious you are. It's, it goes back through history, and it's going on right now. Reject that, and don't be cowed by it if you can help it. That's all they're doing. They're not right. In fact, they're, they're, they're often, you know, 180 degrees from right. They're just vicious because they want to be known as the most pious among them. So partly because, you know, they get into these cultures where their fellows, their brethren, are they can't wait to turn on each other and slit throats. So they're all terrified. they got to be the most fundamentalist among them. Screw them all. As he said, the standard changed three weeks ago. Well, that's important. That's important to the thing, because that's the only way you can keep people on their toes and gain an advantage.
0: You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.